Psalm 138. We are told, again, it is a Psalm of David. Some, some like to question, um, which I, I think is interesting because that's part of the title, a Psalm of David. So, you know, there's no reason to, to doubt what God has given by inspiration. All right? Um, and I'm thankful that God has given us by inspiration these words. And the Bible says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. And I want you to know he never does forsake the work of his own hands. He is a gracious, kind God. Let's pray together. Father, please give us understanding tonight. Help us to be encouraged by this psalm. Help us to put into practice the things that we see taught here. Help us to be like the psalmist who continually saw the goodness of God and expresses to us what we need in our own life. And so I pray that you'd teach us tonight and uh, give us understanding. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. A.W. Tozer told about a believer who was going through some very, very serious trials and difficulties in life, tests of life. This believer said something about those difficult days that uh, I think most people would find quite shocking and, and might almost, in some sense, some might even find it offensive. Here's what he said. Praise God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. The, the statement he made was explained thus. The hammer is a useful tool, but the nail if it had feeling and intelligence, could present another side of the story. For the nail knows the hammer only as an opponent, a brutal, merciless enemy who lives to pound it into submission, to beat it down, uh, out of sight, to clinch it into place. Well, that would be the nail's view of the hammer, and it's accurate, except for one thing. The nail forgets that both it and the hammer are servants of the same workmen. Let the nail but remember that the hammer is held by the workman, and all resentment toward it will disappear. The carpenter decides whose head shall be beaten next, and what hammer shall be used in the building, in the beating. In the building, yeah. That is his sovereign right. When the nail has surrendered to the will of the workman and has gotten a little glimpse of his benign plans for its future, it will yield itself to the hammer without complaint. The explanation continued. The file is more painful still, for its business is to bite into soft metal, 
scraping and eating away the edges till it has shaped the metal to its will. Yet the file has, in truth, no real will in the matter, but serves another master as the metal also does. It is the master and not the file that decides how much shall be eaten away, what shape the metal shall take, and how long the painful filing shall continue. Let the metal accept the will of the master, and it will not try to dictate when or how it shall be filed. Finally, as for the furnace, it is the worst of all. Ruthless, savage, It leaps at every combustible thing that enters it and never relaxes its fury till it has has reduced it all to shapeless ashes. All that refused to be burned is melted to a mass of helpless matter without will or purpose of its own. When everything is melted that will melt and all is burned that will burn then and not till then, the furnace calms down and rests from its destructive fury. What is your attitude toward troubling times in life? Do you see it as a furnace that ultimately has your good in mind? As a hammer? As a file? Or you perhaps like the nail, want to bristle? Or the metal, want to fight against the work that these things are doing ultimately for the master's pleasure and for the master's good. While we may not speak as this suffering believer did, thank God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. It is in trials where we learn best who our God is and how he works. This is a psalm of praise. You noticed that, didn't you? Right at the beginning, I will praise thee is the start of the psalm. But can I remind you that the reason he's praising God is because God worked him over like a hammer does a nail, like the file does metal, like a furnace does materials that are put in it? If you don't believe that to be the case, all you have to do is glance at verse 3 because it's there where we read these words, In the day when I cried, thou answerest me. It was in the fire of uh, affliction. It was... When the file was working on the metal, it was when the hammer was beating the nail that the work of the master was being done and the will of the master was being shown and the grace and mercy and love of the master was being revealed to the suffering servant. And it's there he learned praise for God who is merciful and true. Look at verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth. You see, the psalmist learned in the furnace of affliction that God is loving and that God always keeps his word. And that is the focus of Psalm 138. Praise the Lord! Because he's at work, even in my difficulties, showing that he is a merciful and a, a true God. So let's walk through this psalm. And if we can, just give you a number of, of, uh, of points that will walk us through these eight verses and learn the lesson. We see, first of all, praise declared in verses 1 and 2. 
uh, we find the psalmist giving personal praise. This is a very personal psalm. In fact, you can just I put the word uh, personal. It's personal praise. Notice the I wills. I will praise thee. Uh, and then before the gods will I. And then in verse 2, I will worship. All right, this is what I'm going to do. And we've said it before because a number of psalms are this way. Well, actually, a number of psalms say, praise ye the Lord. A number of psalms encourage God's people to be involved in the matter of praise, but a number of them uh, are like this one where the psalmist says, you know what, I'm going to do this. This is my focus. And by the way, I think the reason he could write, praise ye the Lord, is because he was praising the Lord himself, and he had that kind of heart, and he had that kind of, if you would, uh, desire and, and, uh, and love for God and passion for God that he wanted to express it to everyone and encourage everyone to be involved. And in this psalm, we see this focus, I will, this is what I am going to do, and I have reason to give praise to God. So it is a very personal, praise is declared, it's a very personal praise. Uh, I really, I, I, I thought I'd entitle the first two verses the I wills, because that's what he, where he expresses uh, his attitude. And notice, it's not just I will praise thee, and then uh, will I sing praise unto thee, and I will worship, but notice the first phrase of verse 1, I will praise thee how? Okay, his heart is in this. It is heartfelt. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was very personal. This is not a guy saying, let me tell you about what God has done. Look at how God has answered over there. Look at how God has worked in that situation. Wow, look at what God has done in Ireland. No, the psalmist is saying, I want you to know what God has done in my life, and I want you to know that with my whole heart I am ready and willing to just lift up my God because I've learned in, in my experience that he is a great God and I love him. That is the attitude of this psalm. A praise that is sung without thought or without heart is shallow praise indeed. While in many psalms we have listeners exhorted to sing, in our song today the writer is patterning what we should be doing. He is expressing in his own heart, in his own life, this is where I am at. Join me. And let's praise the Lord and lift him up. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson made this statement. He said, enthusiasm is the most powerful engine of success. When you do a thing, do it with your might. Put your soul into it. Stamp it with your own personality. Be active, be energetic, be enthusiastic and faithful and you will accomplish your object. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. You know, he's right. Enthusiasm does make a big difference in everyday life, but it makes a difference in praise as well. And do you see the enthusiasm in that first praise? <coughs> Look, I'm going to praise you. And it's not going to be, um, thank you, Lord. Soul. He was going to do it with enthusiasm. Praise him, praise him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, with his whole heart, he was going to get involved in praising God. So the praise declared, it should be personal, and it should be, I guess, even along with that, and letter A, I would say enthusiastic from the heart. And then 
Um, and maybe we could put, put it along this, this second point, powerful. The last phrase of verse 1 kind of jumps out at you. He said, before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Does, does anyone look at that and think, wow, that's a little different. Why would he make such a statement before the gods will I sing praise unto thee? Well, it's indicating, uh, uh, if you would, a powerful statement of praise. What is the author saying? Get, get this. Three different writers had three different ideas. And I think that it's always intriguing when you, when you look at something, you say, wow, that's interesting. What is God talking about here? And, and what was the author saying when he said, before the gods will I praise him? Was he giving credit to gods? No, he wasn't. So let me explain. Actually, I'm going to share with you what the three, three writers said. One uh, believes that the writer, that I guess that the uh, translation wasn't the best. Because he says, the word is Elohim there, by the way, before the gods. And he believes that the, the writer, that the psalmist was saying before God, the supreme God, I am going to be giving my praise. Well, now, you know, that, that really... Uh, is an interesting thought. Um, I have a tendency to throw it out because I, I think that the many men who worked on this translation of Scripture uh, gave us an accurate rendition and understood well what the psalmist was getting to. But one believed that that was the case. Another, uh, by the name of Gill, said that it could be the false gods of the heathen, but he expressed... He thought the writer meant the kings of the world because sometimes the supreme authorities, kings and rulers, were used, that term was used to describe them. Now, you say, well, where did he ever get that idea? Well, if you look at verse 4, you see, all the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. So he believes that, that, he was, that David was going to speak this before the kings of the world these rulers, these supreme ones, these authorities, and that they, as a re, in a response, would say, my, what God has done. Now, that is a little bit more plausible, I think, than saying it was God. But, quite honestly, there's no reason to accept it as anything other than what you read here. That the psalmist was, in essence, saying this. I think, in a sense, mocking the gods, because they don't have eyes that see or ears that hear, but his God did hear. His God does have eyes. His God did listen to his request, and his God worked. And so before the gods, he was going to praise, and he was going to say, I have a God in heaven, the only God, the one and only God, and he answers my prayer. So it's powerful praise. It was a man that was convinced that there is no other God, there is only one God, and that God is his God. And that his God answered his prayer. And he wasn't going to be afraid to stand before the gods of the world, that the gods of the world, that, that men of this world would say, oh, I can't believe you'd say that before the gods. And he would proudly proclaim, my God answered my prayers. You, you, your gods are nothing. So it's powerful. It's personal. Praise declared. And quite honestly, I think you and I learn a lesson from that, don't you? Um, how, how personal is our praising? I, I tried to bring out tonight in, in, in prayer requests how often we 
And, and this is one of the things that's come to my mind. How often we ask people to pray about things, we pray about things, and then we just go on our way. We do give praise, we talk about it for maybe one week or, or something to that effect, but, but we just don't powerfully and personally get before God and say, God, you've worked, and I want you to know how much I appreciate who you are and what you've done. So praise is declared. The purpose is pronounced. The purpose is pronounced. Look at verse 2. Well, he continues to, I will worship toward thy holy temple, which, by the way, also gives us the idea of powerful praise. That he was going to put effort toward this. He was going to put time into this. And, and he was going to, he was, he was not only going to make fun of the gods, but he was going to turn to the God of heaven, to the place where God dwells, and he was going to say, God, you have answered my prayer. So powerful praise, all right? So I didn't skip that. I wanted you to know. But at the end of verse 2, notice the, or in the middle, notice what he says. What was he going to praise as he praised toward God's holy temple? His name. For what? Two things. All right, praise him for, and let's just, we'll, we'll give these two things. Although we could have just said name, I suppose, but if you have an A, you have to have a B. Has anyone learned that in outlining? Gentlemen, okay. For his mercy, for his mercy. Why was the author preparing to praise God? What was the work of God that caused him to prepare heartfelt praise? Two outstanding thoughts. And the first is his loving kindness. Now you say, Pastor, why do you use the word mercy? Because the word is loving kindness. I know. Look in verse 8, though. And read that to yourself. And do you see where in the middle of the verse we see something that endures forever? What is it? Okay. If, if you were to look in Strong's Concordance and look at the word translated mercy in verse 8. And then you would go back to verse 2 and look at the word loving kindness. You know what you'd find? They are the same word. So, in essence, in verse 2 and then again in verse 8, he's just saying, God, you are a God of loving kindness. You're a God that shows mercy. You don't give me what I rightfully deserve. Many times you give me far more than, than, than I could ever in, in goodness that I, that I ever would deserve. You don't give me what I rightfully should get. God is a God of mercy. He's a, he's a kind God. Um, God shows kindness to his children. He's ever ready to hear their requests. The heathen gods are fickle. They have to be appeased. By the way, they, you know, a lot of the worship of the gods, a lot of it, was just trying to appease them, make them happy so the gods wouldn't squash them. That, that really was the idea. The, the view of the gods was, don't make them angry. The view of the psalmist is, I serve a merciful God. I serve a kind God. I serve a loving God. All these things are tied into this idea of the loving kindness and the mercy of God. Both words are very descriptive. At, uh, at how compassionate God is. And that truth is, um, needs to be pondered and praised. The loving kindness of God is continually shown 
and it should be profusely praised by his people. Notice in verse 8 again, it endures forever. It never stops. It's always going. It's always evident. So he praised God for his mercy, and then he praised God, and someone mentioned both things, but he praised God for what? All right. God's kindness and love on our behalf is not just mushy feeling or some emotional outburst. That God just, oh, I just want to do something nice. Um, God is full of loving kindness, but God is also a God of truth. Um, today, we have mercy without truth in certain realms of Christianity. Um, in our sector of the Christian world, we sometimes have truth without mercy. And both are bad. Truth without mercy is, um, is cruel. It's... Um, it's a lot of times very inappropriate. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, um, it's like people that will march, that call themselves believers, that will march holding signs that say nasty things about homosexuals, that have hate-filled messages um, toward, toward abortionists that are just just cruel and lacking any kind of love. But you know, there's the other side as well. And there's the love side where people forsake truth for love. And our God is perfectly balanced in loving kindness and mercy. Perfectly balanced. And by the way, he calls us to be the same. And there is a message in that, although that wasn't the message of this song. But what the psalmist could say about God is that God is perfectly merciful and God is perfectly true. What he says he will do and he will fulfill his word, but God is also a God of loving kindness at the same time. And both work in complete unity with one another to do that which is good and best for God's people. And he expresses that so well. He says, I want to praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth. And notice when he says, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know, you know what? We, we often uh, 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 quote that verse. It's a great verse, isn't it? We quote that last part of the verse. We don't quote the whole verse. We quote the last part. Thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. Um. We love to quote it because it rings with important truth. But understand it in light of the context. The author is praising God because he keeps his word to those who cry out upon him and count on his promises. Do you know who God, um, uh, the, the one that God magnifies his word above his name is, is the, the idea and the concept is this. That anything I find in the word of God that I come to God about and pray over Claiming scripture that I can claim the promise of, I can count on God doing. That is the truth of this passage. So the psalmist in verse 3 could cry unto God in his distress, saying, God, I need deliverance. Now, um, some want to tell us that this happened when 
when David was running from Saul. I, I think that's legitimate. We could probably argue that this psalm was written at that time. So then, was there a promise that David could claim based on the truth God had revealed to David when Saul was chasing him? Was there? You tell me. What was the promise David could claim? Okay. Who, who made that promise? God did. Isn't that true? How, how much, when David was a youngster, he was anointed. God said, David, you are going to be the next king. Am I right? Okay, so then look. David could go to God when Saul is running after him. He, David's running on one side of the mountain and Saul on the other. When David's hiding in the cave or when David is in the city and Saul and the army has surrounded the city. And David can cry out to God and say, God, you promised me the kingdom. And he could count on that. Because God keeps his word. God has magnified his word above his name so that if God's name fails, his word would. But his word, he honors. All the time, every time. And you and I don't have promises like that. We haven't, you haven't been anointed as next king over, over the United States, have you, Brother Morris? Actually, I wish you had, because we have a bunch of babies in office that can't get it together here. Those things we can't necessarily claim, but there are promises in Scripture that you and I can claim, like peace that passes all understanding when we're worried. And if we will come to God based on the truth of Scripture in obedience to Philippians chapter 4, obeying what God has told us, then we can expect God to give a peace that passes understanding. Because God has magnified his word above his name. His name was, won't fail. His name is revered and holy and true. And his word has been lifted up above that. God honors his word all the time, every time. Isn't that great? And I love the way it's related here. Because it's related in difficulties to say, you can count on God's word when you're hurting you can count on God to do what he's promised. So if he said he's the God of all comfort, you can count on that comfort. You can count on it. When he said, I'll give you peace, that passes understanding. You can count on it. When he said you're in distress, that his grace will be sufficient, you can count on that fact, because God has magnified his word above his name, he's a God of truth, he always will keep his word, and you can rest assured that it will come to pass. So pray like it, believe it, and act upon it. Um, what, what a great truth to hang your head on in hard times. Because that's the context of this situation. He was suffering. And yet, he was praising God because he found God to magnify his word above his name. We serve a God of kindness, of mercy, of love, and a God of truth. And those things are desperately needed when we're hurting. So may we look to him and may we trust him for those things 
And then when we see them, when we experience them, may we take the time to do what the psalmist did. Because this psalm, we wouldn't even know these truths had he not gotten up and said, we'll praise thee. Because you're a God of loving kindness and you're a God of truth. And I want everyone to know that. I want the gods to know it. I want the Lord to know it. I want all men to know it. So, um, good lessons for us as we introduce and just get into the beginning of this psalm. And I'm looking forward to digging into the rest with you next time we have opportunity. Father, thank you for uh, this word that we've heard tonight. Thank you that you're a a God of loving kindness, a God of truth. And, and Father, may those um, great principles and, and character qualities be things that we, uh, we look to and we trust in and rely upon in dark days. And I pray, Lord, that we, too, would be able to say, as the psalmist did, we serve a God of loving kindness and truth as you bring us through the tough times of life. Thank you for this psalm. May we learn to practice it in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.